0: You're going to microwave pizza.
1: Yeah, You got five
0: minutes to wolf that down or while I'm doing my intro. So go for it.
1: Okay, good. Uh, As soon as I put on first bluff a little bit.
0: Okay, five minutes though. Now three minutes. Uh, um, I'll be right back. You
1: said five minutes, five minutes. minutes. I know, but you've spent a minute
0: talking. So go do your thing. You're a bastard, Craig. I want you to know that. Welcome. Secret Movie Clubbers to Secret Movie Club Podcast 139. Today uh, we're actually talking about one of the pillars of weirdly what we do and what a lot of rap theaters do across the country. We're talking about the notion of how you create double features, how you curate movies, just the idea of creating a movie schedule or movie season and movie pairings. And and what's interesting when you watch more than one movie, how you start to think about things in interesting ways and we're going to talk about a pair that was done by Secret Movie Club team member Josh Oakley for his birthday which was Notting Hill one of the Richard Curtis romantic comedies of the late 90s early aughts um, now it was directed by a different gentleman a gentleman I believe named Roger Roger Michelle. Uh, Curtis famously wrote uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and it was this mega hit. And then he went on to do Notting Hill, Love Actually, About Time, and a number of uh, British romantic comedies. And Notting Hill stars Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts and is about an everyman, which always makes me laugh. I really love Notting Hill, but it, it is a bit of a stretch to think of Hugh, although he pulls it off, but to think of Hugh Grant as an everyman. He owns a travel bookstore in the Notting Hill part of West London. And, one day, an internationally known American film actress comes in, played by Julia Roberts, which is great casting, because that's what she is. And they start a romance, sort of against all odds. And it's done very believably. But then Josh paired that with uh, Steve McQueen's movie, Lover's Rock, which was one of five movies that came out uh, during COVID, funded by the BBC. So I know uh, over in Britain it was viewed differently, but Amazon bought them or funded them. And Steve McQueen, who very famously did 12 Years a Slave, did shame, did hunger. He made these five movies about the black experience in Britain and his Lover's Rock was the second of those and probably the most uh, well-known of the five. It's also the most plotless in an interesting way although it definitely has a plot and it's about a house party. One night this house party in the early 80s it follows two characters specifically who who start a, a budding romance and it very wonderfully shows the lives, the generation gap, the lives of the west indies immigrants to london how they sort of embrace their own culture how they deal with white british culture how they have a party the dynamics at that party and it's just a wonderful 71 minute movie that all takes place in one night also in the notting hill area of uh west london and so we'll get into all that who's with us today
2: oh hey it's daniel hey gamers it's me Carnaloid Lloyd Cruz the people's champion here with a guy i always like to be paired with edwin gomez
1: uh- Hello, America. It's just another day. Another day in dog day land. Talking about crappy, well, actually one crappy romance movie. That's about it. Because it sucked.
0: I hate it. That dog's coming for you, Edwin.
1: Good. I'm wanting to come for me. I'll kill it. I'll destroy it. Come at me, you son of a bitch. I'm right here. Bastards. All
0: you bastards oh and uh, i don't even know what to say to that i just that's just the essence that's edwin essence right there if we could bottle that we could sell that as a cologne and i am craig the founder programmer of secret movie club it is wonderful to have everybody here by the time you hear this secret movie clubbers we're actually coming to the end of our romance month our what the heart Wants series but we do we still have some uh, surprises and i hope some bangers in store starting with tonight we're doing two billy wilder i am ashamed to admit this this Is the first month we've ever done Billy Wilder in the history of secret movie club and I love Billy Wilder but it just goes to Show you how vast cinema is we are doing Some like it hot in the apartment which He made back-to-back we often talk about When filmmakers are in their white hot Incandescent period Billy Wilder had A few of these in my opinion because I Think he did Sunset Boulevard and Ace in the Hole back-to-back which is actually probably my Preferred back-to-back Billy Wilder but uh, Some like it hot in the apartment I'd take that If I was a filmmaker we're doing that tonight come Join us then tomorrow uh, we're at at the Million Dollar Theater For the first time in 2023 We are doing Sunrise On 35mm The F.W. Murnau classic Which we've talked about One of my favorite films Of all time With the live score By the Jack Curtis Dubowski ensemble Come to the very first Movie palace in LA Watch one of the great Great movies of all time On 35mm And then Monday and Tuesday We are doing I think this is kind of A fun double bill I hope you'll take a chance on it Thelma and Louise And the Wachowskis bound Talking about pairings And then we Wednesday, we start our March Musical Madness series with South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, one of my favorite recent musicals. Although we're all talking about now, when we talk about recent, some of these are 10, 20 years old. And we're doing four episodes from South Park because they're always doing musical numbers in South Park. And some of the musical numbers they do on the TV show are as good as anything they did in the movie. That's also Thursday. So that is our schedule. As always, you can find out our entire schedule at secretmovieclub.com. Go to event right you can get tickets pretty soon by the time you hear this we'll have announced the remainder of our march schedule which includes a few hitchcocks a few terry gilliams i'm hoping uh, actually i'm going to be clearing those this week on film prints i hope and then uh, we're going to be doing our next million dollar theater event march 25th and I'm, i have to get clearance on that so i'll let you guys know about that and we're at the towards the end of march we're also doing a trivia night which i'm really looking forward to uh, and i'll talk about more of that um, once we announce that and we Within a week or two of you hearing this, we should be starting to announce our April, May, June spring season with a lot of birthdays. Man, all of your parents were making whoopee 10 months before spring because the majority of the Secret Movie Club team has birthdays in April, May and June. And so uh, you will hear about birthday guest programming, our Palm Springs 70 millimeter getaway. That'll be the first weekend in May again. Can't
2: wait for my birthday double of money playing and the Great Bikini off-road adventure. <laughs> (laughs)
0: god no potentially the best double ever programmed in the history of doubles and meant much much more but anyway go to eventbrite write us a community at secretmovieclub.com to complain about my long intros and uh talking about pairings i'd like to thank our sponsor rainbow wine don't know what to serve with your meal red wine white wine pink wine don't worry about it try rainbow wine it pairs with everything uh there you go (laughs) you can cut both those out but i'm gonna nail that next time uh rainbow wine pairs with everything talking about movie pairings uh today we're gonna talk about dad jokes dude i've been infected by dad humor um, it's fine okay the
2: stuff around it is funnier honestly the stuff of you like <laughs> doubting it is the funniest so i think i'm gonna keep it all in
0: good do it man it's your call you're the editor i'm gonna do it you gotta start bad before you get good uh but there you go rainbow one One of the things that anybody does, whenever you make a mixtape, although now I'm dating myself with that, but if you make a playlist and you give it to a friend, chances are you start theming it and finding fun themes. If you love a DJ, you start to enjoy how they mash up songs or transition from one song or another, they start communicating with you. If you love going to the movies and going to see double bills, if you live in a city that has a rep theater, sometimes you get a kick at what they pair together. And you're like, oh, I get why they paired that together. I never would have thought that. Or you're like, oh, I get why they paired that together. That's really obvious. But one of the great things about creating a playlist or suggesting the movies or someone says, hey, I'm in the mood for a comedy, and you're like, see all these comedies, is how they communicate with each other. And Gert Holt Lessing, one of my favorite quotes, actually, and I'm not gonna bore people by pretentiously just regurgitating the quote, but Gert Holt Lessing, who was a German philosopher at the end of the 18th century, said something that is really profound to me. And he basically said the gist of what he said was if god were to offer concealed in his right hand all truth and in his left hand just the diligent and steady pursuit of the truth with the proviso that i should always and forever err in the pursuit of the truth i would kneel and in all humility choose the left hand and that has really struck me because i think to a certain extent at least this is something i believe it's not possession because gert holt lessing says possession makes you kind of indolent lazy and proud it's the pursuit of something it's the dynamic it's when you have a con conversation It's the collision of things that actually creates an elevation or an improvement. And if you're always like wanting possession of the perfect, rather than making yourself open and vulnerable to the collision of other things that create a dynamic that you never could have imagined, I prefer that collision. It's uncomfortable, but it's fascinating. And movie pairings and double features are kind of that way. So guys, let's go around the horn and talk about this really interesting pairing that Josh Oakley came up with, which was Notting Hill, the Hugh Grant. Julia Roberts' mega-romantic comedy, maybe the highest-grossing romantic comedy of all time. It made $400 million, I found out. And Stephen McQueen's Lovers Rock, which is not a romantic comedy per se, although it has very funny moments in it. But it is definitely a romance. It is definitely a meet-cute. And it is definitely, in the end, a very positive romance between two characters. So they definitely communicate with each other. Uh, who wants to start us off? Uh, I'm
2: going to... Well, no, oh. we're not going to start with you because you didn't like them You suck! We're not going to start negative. I don't like to do it. That's why I don't start with you a lot of times, because you're a little mean man. I speak the truth. You speak your truth. My Um, truth is reality. That's you. People like you are the reason why Trump got elected. Um, you! We actually have a quote. Josh Oakley, who programmed it, wrote us something nice. This is his text. He said, said to me that he couldn't make it on the pod because he was saving a bunch of children who were being forced to mine for sacred stones in a cave by a cult but he did write us something and I, and daniel I'm going to re- I'm not
3: going to do a Josh affectation but I will read Should. his words <clears throat> these are the words of of Joshua Oakley I paired these two films on the most basic level because they're both romances that take place in West London. Notting Hill is a highlight of the 90s romantic comedy boom with two stars at the height of the charm and abilities. It's an excellent time made classic by not just its central pairing, but also its emphasis on friendship and family and on the kinds of love that similar rom-coms often ignore. Its only real issue is that it's a movie named after a historically diverse neighborhood with an entirely white cast. Lover's Rock isn't a corrective to this, it's entirely its own thing, but it serves as a companion both demographically and stylistically. While Notting Hill is winningly mainstream in its wit and romance, Lover's Rock is low on plot and exceedingly high on vibes. It captures romance not as a story, but as a feeling. The love between two people and the love of a community reveling in a fortress they built by and for themselves. It culminates in an extended sequence set to silly games, which feels like a religious ecstasy, as these citizens of West London lose themselves entirely in a moment of music, something nearly everyone has experienced, but is nearly impossible to capture on film. So I paired these two films for both their surface connections the setting mainly but also because together they explore the vast ways that cinema can translate what it feels like to fall in love
2: Joshua Oakley, 2023
3: Unfair to start that way, a beautiful sentiment to these These are both two things that I love uh, Notting Hill was something that I was I was lower on until this rewatch actually and I was looking it up because I was confused by, there. there's a thing that Julia Roberts has that I've, I've always tried to grasp and I finally found someone who sort of put it into words the best um, Matt Singer writes, every great star has a signature move john travolta dances brad pitt is always eating something on screen tom cruise runs really fast julia robert's signature move is called the cryle where she fights back tears through a pain smile and i think that's so such a perfect thing because Notting hill specifically does a bunch of stuff and it leads up to the famous line, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. And that's important because to deliver that, you have to be both a very open, strong person and a very vulnerable person. And I think Julia Roberts' delivery of that is why that works. Otherwise, that I think that line on paper almost sounds goofy and then delivered the way that she delivers it is such a beautiful thing that's
0: actually probably got to be one of the main jobs and challenges of an actor is reading a line and they're like no you have to deliver that and going okay i gotta make that work
2: so which they actually get into in the movie when she's having to memorize all of that oh, yeah. techno babble in
3: the last few years obviously there's been the the hugh grant resurgence with his incredible performance in paddington too but They're both just sort of in like this peak 90s thing that feels like such a product of its time. And as as we talked about and we'll talk about, I'm sure, there's a genre of Richard Curtis that exists all on its own. I know he didn't direct this, but he was doing something so specific in his writing work with rom-coms in the 90s and early 2000s that made them these like very sincere and I think very smart things. Like I, I think Notting Hill is much smarter than we give it credit for of what it's saying about celebrity and the concept of the everyman and like what it means to be successful or or what it means to like have love or want to be loved that feels really honest i feel like there's a a really easy way to be like oh it must be so difficult being rich and famous type of thing and that line is difficult to walk because there's a if we're supposed to find connection in art sometimes i think it can be difficult to connect to things and just beyond you know wealth is something i don't understand and it can be hard to empathize sometimes and so i think he has this interesting connection to it that makes them feel like real people especially in this and i love it and then lovers rock i think is kind of a masterpiece um josh is the right term vibe is the mood i love a dance in a movie Like a good dance scene in a movie is killer. Usually it's like, you know, choreographed, but this, this is just kind of a 70 minute dance scene that doesn't feel choreographed. It feels very much like in the moment. And I think some of the behind the scenes stuff we were talking about that it was a lot of in the moment, This sort of, you know, we want you to be engaged and to present these things. This came out during the pandemic. And when I saw it, all I wanted to do, I'm not a club person, but all I wanted to do was like be at a party. Like, it looked like the greatest experience in the world.
0: That was maybe one of the most interesting, unintentional, talking about dynamics and things you don't expect by the collision of two things. Lover's Rock coming out at the height of COVID probably was incredibly bittersweet for everybody who loves doing that. You know, we're only now, three years later still a wide majority of people don't want to go shoulder to shoulder and get sweaty and dance in a room. And, but that for people who enjoy that kind of thing, that's just tons of fun.
3: It captures like this, I don't know, this idea of, of youth. And I I wrote that like love and passion and music and protest are all connected physically and emotionally. There's never a discussion about it. There isn't like a moment to stop down and be like, we're doing this for these reasons. And that plays through characters and the way they're behaving and the way that they are existing in this moment. And, um, I also think that the, kung fu fighting moment gave me the same sort of feeling that like the hammer pickup and end game did when i was watching it originally just because you were like oh man i love this and I, I think that's real special it's a very special thing well
1: notting hill sucked i hated it i don't understand why it's two hours so I'm should have like an hour and a half at least daniel I, the only reason you like notting hill because the dad from Paddington is in notting hill and that's, that's the only reason, I think. And Hugh Grant. So, so what? He's the top of the 90s either way. I hate movies where... Uh, the, and the
2: guy from Shaun of the Dead. I'm a
1: guy yeah, that, yeah uh, he was great. He was funny. He, he was the only best thing in that movie. I I, I hate movies where the high-class ladies in love with the lower-class dude? Like, I, I hate movies like that. It's just, ugh, It's dumb. The only time it does work is in Pretty Woman. And I love Pretty Woman. That's my all-time favorite Julia Roberts movie. Not this crap. It's just, ugh. So
0: you only like Julia Roberts when she plays a prostitute, What's huh?
1: What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Okay, she gave one hell of a performance in Pretty Woman. Huh? Want to know why? Because it was directed by Gary Marshall.
0: That all makes sense in Edwin's mind, by the way, audience.
1: Anyways, anyways, yeah, Nanny Hill is too damn long. I don't know why the hell it's two hours. Also, Julie in the movie, Julie Roberts' boyfriend is Alec Baldwin. What? How how the hell does that work?
2: That was my biggest laugh.
1: I had to pause the movie <laughs> to like refresh my mind. Like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Julie Roberts' character is his boyfriend with Alec Baldwin. Like, what the hell? Now, who came up with that idea like I thought it would have been like another like hot guy or something like that not Alex Baldwin it goes back and forth like oh she's gone again oh she's back oh she's gone again oh just I'm, so, I'm sorry Josh I, I didn't like I didn't like the damn movie you picked I hated it I hated it every minute and now lovers rock saw that 2am last night it was okay. It wasn't the greatest thing I ever saw, but it was okay. The Kung Fu fight sequence, I think that's the only thing I do appreciate. Because one, I didn't know you could do a dance sequence to uh, Kung Fu fighting, which is actually kind of interesting. There are times where the camera's like shooting uh the people that are like like, like this grooving out, good dancing. And that whole segment goes on for like a good while. Like, okay, speed it up now. Come on, speed it up. And it keeps going and going and going. I think it lasted about like 10 minutes. Like, okay. End it. End it now. Yeah, just, uh, you know, I don't know.
0: Edwin, I drew a cartoon while you were talking. I don't know if you can see it. That's you giving Julia Roberts flowers. And it says, I'm just a boy standing here asking a girl to watch Heaven's Gate with him. And then Julia Roberts says, (laughs)
1: Well, Well, you know, after those two and a half bad movies um i watched missing action part two to clear my <laughs> head and uh, i felt better after that after getting over two and a half bad movies
2: you did give it the sit you did give well two and a half what are you saying oh lovers rock lovers rock what, one, and one and a half
1: one and a half movies. so because lovers Lovers rock was
2: kind of decent i i guess yeah you gave it the same rating on letterbox that you gave
0: missing an action part two the beginning i did
2: Enigmatic <laughs> as always. I hadn't seen either one. I still haven't seen the other small X movies. I'm kind of interested now. You know, neither of these is necessarily like totally what I'm into. But I thought Notting Hill was pretty charming. I actually watched some other romantic stuff recently. I kind of don't want to be negative about other things, so I won't. But comparatively, Notting Hill I actually really liked. I found engaging. I mean, it's super broad, but I like broad. All you know, like appeals to everybody. Type stuff. I thought it was just a really well done version of that. And especially the Risa Fonz Spike roommate character is uh, pretty funny. He's got a great gag with a t-shirt at the beginning. Lovers Rock. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's definitely people are saying like a vibe thing, which is normally not my thing. But one, getting to see it in a theater was cool. And I think helped for sure. And two, I can really hang with anything if it's, like, less than 80 minutes.
0: Yeah, the length was perfect. I think for that kind of story and the way he wanted to tell it, I thought 71 minutes was choice.
2: You know, especially compared to... A, a jean dealman or something <laughs> which we watched at three and a half hours uh which is obviously a different thing in a lot of ways but s- similar-ish in the sense of having a loose plot and it's more of a vibe and emotion evoking and sort of staying with characters uh while they're just doing what they're doing lovers Ro- lovers rocks also i think more engaging for me because it's it's definitely a more dynamic film <laughs> and it does have these little character threads who i don't remember any of the characters names Um, franklin
0: is the male lead martha yeah that's right martha and franklin and
2: then there's the other guy the the guy who's sort of after martha the whole night and then there's the girl whose birthday party it is there's franklin's buddy and martha's buddy but yeah it was cool And yeah it makes it kind of makes me want to watch the other of those uh small acts movies it sounds like an interesting uh idea i just
0: wanted to show daniel daniel i drew a cartoon of you too while you were talking (gasps) that's just you with your headphones. Oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, cool. I didn't I didn't give you a quote or anything. Uh, <laughs> I'm just practicing my left-hand drawing. Yeah, you know, talking about dynamics, too, that project of Steve McQueen's is great. Daniel, have you seen all five? Yes, I saw them all. Could you tell us their connection?
3: They're sort of all connected thematically, all about different groups of, of Black people in London's West Indian community. Between the, I think it's the 60s to 80s or something. So it jumps around with that sort of the through line. It's all about like West London and different communities within it there's not really like overlap between characters it's more about like the themes of the different things that they went through that's what
0: I heard kind of the wire style like one is about education one yeah. is about policing of the community yeah they're, and they're,
3: they're very different but if you watch them in a, in a, in a short period of time the, the connective tissue is pretty clear radically different lengths of, of time between each of them I think three of them are like around an hour and then one's like two hours and one's like an hour and a half from what I remember I watched them in 2020 I feel like they were all good to great which is kind of an achievement to do five movies back to back put them all out at once and they feel different where i would say if one like if lovers rock didn't connect with you a different one might because they are all very much in in steve mcqueen's voice but super different in terms of what they're what they're going through in the subject matter
2: isn't mangrove the first one because lovers Rock* is the second one mangrove is like a like a court
3: it's about the mangrove nine which is a trial in the 70s i think
2: and i know the third one which stars john boyega Boyega. is him as a black policeman uh attempting to reform the police from within yeah
3: super interesting the idea of a black officer who was um, assaulted by two officers or his his father was assaulted by two officers and um, he wants to go in to work things out and sort of like is confronted with the idea of like, can you change something that's so corrupted and broken? It's a tough watch.
0: Watching the two movies, I do really love Notting Hill and I I do love Richard Curtis movies. As you said, Daniel, I don't want to call them guilty pleasures because I think they're out and out great movies. Probably the best romantic comedies post When Harry Met Sally in a way. In terms of what he does in Notting Hill, and I don't know if this is correct, I'd have to ask him, But having just finished uh, Middlemarch, the novel Middlemarch by George Eliot, I really become keenly aware of how the British, especially in their novels, a lot of what gives it the tension is this thing of not being able to say what you really feel. And because of a sense of, well, you don't do that, or I can't do this, or decorum prevents this, or the class system prevents this, that's where a lot of the tension comes in in these 19th century, you know, Jane Austen or what have you. And then when somebody transgresses, which is a big thing, it seems, in British literature, when they transgress what British society says you can and can't do, it's like leaping into the chasm, like Last Crusade. But when you do it, there's often this exhilaration exhilaration and this exaltation. And and it seems like in Notting Hill, there's a lot of things where they're not really saying what they're feeling or what they're thinking, or they have a romance, but then they're trying to be considerate of each other and this or that. And it's funny in the Richard Curtises, there's often a scene at the end, which is some kind of public trial where one character has to publicly say in front of everybody exactly what they're feeling when they could have said it like several scenes earlier, but they didn't. And then they have to get in a with all their best friends and go somewhere and then they got to say it either in front of a wedding or in front of a bunch of publicity people and I was just thinking it's really interesting how Richard Curtis took that understanding of what made 19th century British romance or love stories so powerful and sort of distilled it into a 20th 21st century paradigm and did his own thing as well and I think it's sort of brought home by the fact that you see Julia Roberts in an adaptation of Henry James which is sort of like a funny wink because Henry James is an American author so there was there's like clearly some kind of communication going on there if you wanted to, to have that. But it works. I think the most amazing thing about Notting Hill is I actually, I'm like, I think that could have happened. I actually really buy into this could have happen. And then with Lover's Rock, I hadn't seen it. I've seen uh, Shame and I've seen 12 Years a Slave. But I have to say now having seen Shame, 12 Years a Slave and Lover's Rock, obviously all different movies. I was blown away by Lover's Rock. I think Lover's Rock is one of the greatest movies of 2020 if that was the year that it came out in. I think more people need to see it. I think it does something very hard to do in cinema, which is... It talks about all these things without beating them on the head. So I loved watching it because I love that uh, Martha sneaks out. Uh, she has to sneak out to a party. I was a very nerdy kid. I never did that. But my sister snuck out constantly to parties uh, and I wouldn't say anything. And she'd come back from raves and stuff. And the only thing I cared about was if there was some bozo. If there was, I just told her my only rule was like no clowns because I was an older brother. I was like, other than that, you do you. Uh, and my sister like way smarter than me. And she had a no clown rule herself. So she was fine, but she would sneak in and out of the house. And and I love that aspect, which I think a lot of teenagers can relate to. But then there's this whole thing about the immigrant experience and code switching. So, you know, Martha and Franklin can totally speak a kind of West London cockney when they're dealing with white Londoners, white British people. But once all those characters are at the house party, which I found out in my research was a lot of clubs, even in the early 80s, would turn away immigrants, would turn away Indians immigrants and black immigrants. So a lot of black immigrants from the West Indies were like, F this. They would take a house. They would clear out the biggest room in the house. They would have a bouncer. They would turn it into a club for a night. They would charge a cover. And it was funny to see how it operated as a club. Cause in the movie, the girls get let in the bouncers like, Oh, hello lovelies. But then the guys have to pay. So it was funny to see what changed and what didn't change. Like from a club experience, which is you always want the beautiful women inside, but you're going to charge it. Otherwise you're going to have way too many bros. And then once they're in the house, they all code switch and sort of play up the West Indies accent and their Jamaican accent and the Jamaican way of talking, because it's a way of sort of claiming, uh, I, you know, I don't look, I'm a white guy, a white American. So far be it for me. Maybe I'm totally wrong. And Steve McQueen would like hit me. So Steve McQueen, if we ever meet, you can just tell me like you were wrong, dude. But um, it just seems like they can be who they want to be. And what's fascinating is they're dancing and romancing and just partying as the night goes on and they drink and they love you. See see all these fascinating dynamics and currents running through that community but it's all done so effortlessly and artfully and to the point where as people were talking there's this culmination sequence where they're playing dub music and there's a character I was studying up he's called the toaster he does this toasting where even though he's DJing the music he's like right right and he's speaking into the mic and he's getting people worked up and he's talking about stuff and it builds up to where all these guys start just really tearing off their shirts and dancing and it's very Male and they start talking about being Rastafari. And what you know, Daniel and I started this conversation, but the end I went to study up Rastafari culture a little more. What, what's interesting is many of the characters are Christian and practicing Christians, and they're these cross currents of Christianity. Rastafari was a variation of Christianity and black nationalism that really grew up in Jamaica. Ethiopian leader Halley Selassie is sort of the head of that, almost to the point where he has become like a not a Christ-like figure, but You would call him like almost a St. Peter or something. And so in the Rastafari religion, Holly Salasi and black nationalism and Christianity all meld into something that was very Jamaican. And Bob Marley was a big proponent of the Rastafari religion. And so you see all these people sort of take Christianity or this, you know, frankly, a religion that was forced upon them and make it their own and empower it and fill it with their own pride and their own culture. And, And the movie culminates to that. But then the characters have to return To British white society And there was a scene that really moved me Where Franklin takes Martha to the mechanic Shop he works at to just dance And romance her and the white I don't even know if he's the owner comes In and really in a patronizing Awful way tells him don't do That like he has the right To tell the black employee you can't Bring in your girlfriend and it Just drives home the reality that they all have To deal with in the light of day I Just found it incredibly beautiful incredibly powerful. I loved all the dancing. It does that great thing where you relate to it, but you also are brought into a world that's not yours and a culture that's not yours. And as Roger Ebert said, your empathy grows and you're made aware of like, oh my goodness, I'm really embarrassed now because I'm really ashamed that human beings who should just have the same rights uh, whatever had to deal with this and none of us who are white you know how many of us really truly give five minutes of thought five minutes of uninterrupted thought to having to live like that where so many people have to deal with that chronic stress across hundreds of years and so i just think watching that movie in the greatest way brought me to it I'm going to use that. I'm going to transition now, and let's just do a round-robin, guys. What are your thoughts just on movie pairings?
1: Well, I I actually had one in mind. As you know, I did a pairing on my birthday, uh, Godzilla 85, Godzilla 2000. The reason why I chose those because, one, Godzilla 85 was the new beginning of a new uh, series of Godzilla movies. And then they later ended in the 90s with Godzilla vs. Destroyer. And... They did the same thing again by doing Godzilla 2000, which phases to the Millennium uh, series of Godzilla movies. So, in those ways, I did a beginning, and I did another one with another beginning. So, those were the pairings that... um I came up with, because one, both movies had never been shown, and they'd never been paired like that before, and I I thought it was a great idea at the time. I want to say Last Action Hero is up there to double bill with the... Um, what year did True Lies come out?
0: 94, I think.
1: What year did Last Action Hero come out?
0: Before that, I thought... Let me see. Because I was in Malaysia, so I think 93.
1: If you pair those two movies together, in a strange way, you put True Lies first, and then Last Action Hero we basically saying this is the last great action movie while showing another great action movie, which uh, is really yeah, all over the place. But for Last Action Hero, kind of works, though, because uh, they put all the cliché from every action movie into one, which uh, to me, the title says it all. I think Last Action Hero is the last great action movie ever made, in my opinion.
0: Even though True Lies came out after it?
1: I mean... It still works cuz true lies does all the same clichés. You mean you mean more like spiritually
2: it's the last great action movie like how people will do uh, in comics they'll write their version of this is the last Batman story even though it's it's not actually going to be the last Batman story yeah that's true you know I've been doing this Monday movies thing with my buddies for a long time for Halloween we've done pairings it's one of those things right I did some really good stuff early on and I feel like I'm like chasing the ball chasing that high again
0: chasing the dragon
2: yeah that first year we paired the Suspiria remake with cats which is actually a pretty good pairing that I would do again. Uh, They're both movies very centered on dance and performance. They're both fundamentally about a group of characters making a decision of someone's ascension. And there's one scene in particular, they both have a sequence where there's like a major dance sequence on this stage that has a kind of almost like pentagram-like design on it interesting stuff we then did audition and uh serenity which was only paired because of their twists and uh then this last year we did martyrs in this movie called deadly lessons which i think i talked about previously um we've also done some like series the second year we did the movie nights we did a series where four weeks in a row we watched all four movies that this baboon starred in this one monkey he starred in four movies the fly uh, he started in these two spy comedy action movies. And then. Shockma, right? Shockma, which is the worst of them, but also the funniest of them in in a lot of ways.
0: You could do a whole monkey series. You got Shockma, then you got Clyde from those Clint Eastwood movies, The Orangutan. Shockma is one of those
2: movies where it's like, you do that one for The Vine. That one's not an actually fun movie to watch, it's pretty boring. <laughs> um, it's like an hour 40 for some reason. And there's like two hallways and that's like the whole set basically. <laughs> and the characters are, they refuse to tell anybody about the monkey characters are not finding out about that there's a crazy monkey loose in this building until an hour into the movie when they all have walkie-talkies it's a mess (laughs) um i also i have a lot of i think really good ideas but i kind of want to i might censor them and i'll just i'll keep in y'all's reactions to them trade secrets because we we get to do this kind of stuff the one i sent you craig of (laughs) i think is a pretty would be a pretty fun one because they're two movies with essentially the same premise but executed at totally different ends of the The scale, I think like
0: That's a good one.
2: Triple feature of Mm -hmm. I I think both of those kind of like your old, the influence and the influence Uh one you would do where we did like the general and Fury Road. I won't bleep this one, because it's just from a movie, but I think it would be actually fun to do the double feature from Donnie Darko of Evil Dead and Last Temptation of Christ. (laughs) Even though that's it's in the wrong order. I feel like Evil Dead should go second because just on a tone and, like, tempo and length level, it makes more sense going second. These two movies share characters, but...
0: Oh, wow. They share
2: characters? Yeah. There's characters that are in both of those played by the same actors. I think... Would be a great one. We should do sometime, especially in that order. You would maybe think to do it in the opposite, but I think one informs the other better that way. And then last one I have written down here: triple feature. Maybe a little.
0: That's little intense. Much. Meal breaks in that one.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's like a day at the at the million dollar theater.
0: No, that's good though for people who like obsessive crime movies. But
2: yeah, no, I uh, I think it's really cool to figure out good pairings and thematic pairings. You know, more than Necessarily, just uh, here's two movies from the same series. My favorite stuff is those mo- things where it's either thematic, or you're seeing like a through line. You're you're seeing one movie, and then you're seeing a movie that's like a direct descendant of that movie.
0: It's fun, you know, the Eisensteinian theory of montage or dialectic. I mean, I, I suppose it goes back into philosophy and Socrates and everything is the idea that you have idea A an idea b and the collision or the comparison or the contrast creates a third idea idea c i think movie pairings at their best that's what they are they're in dialogue with each other
3: i think you put it really well at the beginning i think the dj comparison there's like such a skill to curation and pairings because it can be so many things it can be you're looking through someone's filmography you're comparing actors you're you're doing things thematically and i think I get excited for for different pairings around town with us or with other rep theaters when you catch something and you're like, oh, that's such a smart double feature. And though I might own these things, I want to go experience that with a crowd because I think the move between them is such a cool thing. Or it's a great way that if you love one thing and someone's pairing it with another thing, you might find something else that you love that maybe you didn't know about or wouldn't have given a a chance. I think Josh killed it with this because it's, I think, pretty distinct audiences would choose between them and i was happy to see that there was quite a bit of spillover between them whether they had seen it or not to see sort of what these two were doing there was a group of
2: like alt skater like stoner guys there just hanging out I was yeah like, that was, I was that was like,
3: dope. dope i love that i'm like i love when something that i don't quite know how to pin down like the audience for it and you get like a group that you're like oh this rules like came it super respectful just vibing love it a lot of wine bot at notting hill yeah <laughs> it was a lot of wine at that show and I didn't notice that but I didn't really write down any, any specific ones because I think they're I tie it so often to like the emotional core I want to feel for something when I'm doing a double I like the concept that there's an art to you know a great playlist a great whatever it's all about the way that you put it together and so I think that applies to film in the same way and I hadn't really thought of it quite in that capacity. And I, I'm very
0: into that. And obviously there's an analog to this now, but back in the day, uh, music was released on records, on albums, on vinyl. And I know a lot of people collect vinyl and there are people who remember the cassette and then the CD and all that. But nowadays, most people are consuming their music by Spotify or, you know, listening to an album or buying a song or two. So it's, it's actually reverted back. It's interesting how it's actually cyclical because it was like this I think sort of in the 30s 40s and 50s there really weren't long play albums there would be these 45s and you get a record and there might be a b-side because you loved glenn miller's in the mood or whatever and that was sort of the culture was a single culture and then somebody i I wish i knew more about music was like oh put out an album from frank sinatra and my understanding is that frank sinatra was one of the first people who was well i'm going to put out a mood album so one of my favorite of these is a frank sinatra album called in the wee hours of the night and they're all very lonely songs that you would feel If you were alone or had a bad love affair or walking home at the end of a party at like one, two or three in the morning and every single of these songs hits that mood. And then I think people who are really into music or, you know, maybe you listen to Miles Davis is kind of blue and you were just like, oh man, although because Miles Davis was working out modal music during those sessions, there were just six or seven killer modal music tracks. And so then people take this idea, you get the Beatles revolver and then, you know, you get. Get, like, Rolling Stone's eggs on Main Street. Pet sounds. And uh, so the songs are all communicating with each other. Or they actually, like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, you have a, an intro song and a reprise and a, a yada, yada, yada. And so I think it'll come back, but there is something rewarding. You know, actually, weirdly, Connor, I would say, Marvel movies probably do a great job of this now where they really reward you. You see that Marvel movie and you're like, oh, that character or that button scene or that thing and that all culminating in sort of game in Infinity War. And, and now they're doing things like WandaVision and and the TV shows and you watch those and then you come back. And I have nothing more to say right now than one thing I've noticed is when I jog by myself, which I love to do and it's important, I can hit a pace and I don't, unless I'm really like, ah, oh, I got to kick it in, I, I can get into that pace. But if someone passes me, I unfortunately am a competitive person and I've always tried to keep the competitiveness to myself, but I'm like, I got to kick up my game and I run. And I, I try to actually keep keep up with that person. And I don't try to be a d- and like pass them and be like, ha, ha, ha. But I do. I'm like, oh, I got to step up my game. And I think the thing, if you're a creative person, is when you show your movie in a film festival or shorts and you see other people's shorts, you're like, oh, man, I got to pick up my game. And that's dialogue. That's a dialectic. And I think that it's uncomfortable. It makes you feel uncomfortable things. It's probably why George Lucas eventually was like, I can fund these movies. I can shoot them all in front of a green screen and no one can tell me what to do. But you see the difference. Whereas if you force yourself to hear bad criticism and have a dialectic, you, you sort of like have to up your game. And that's why dialectic is important. I believe it's uncomfortable, but growth and evolution is uncomfortable. And then you get to a place where you're like, I never could have achieved that if I wasn't in conversation, people didn't push me. And that I think is mutual. and film and film pairing at its best. Now I'd like to bring us back to pop culture and final thoughts. This is brought to you by rainbow wine. We're talking about pairings. You can pair rainbow wine with anything and not worry about the chicken or the fish or who's there. And uh, even your vomit will make you smile. Rainbow wine. See, I came up with that, <laughs> and it's horrible. I will nail that, but I'm going to keep doing it. See, talking about evolution, I will get these fake sponsorships. But anyway, Rainbow Wine brings you pop culture and final thoughts. Talk about anything but what we just talked about. Who wants to go first? Well,
1: after awaking from His ancient slumber. my nap, uh, after the long rant you went on, Craig, I— I just realized something.
0: Have some rainbow wine.
1: And also getting over your your awful joke about uh, a rainbow wine, which was uh, quite awful. I didn't laugh one bit.
3: Don't dunk on the sponsor, please. Yeah, we're, we're getting Disney dollars from them. We're
1: still watching more pictures, you know. Uh, by the time this come out, I would already have been seeing uh, Boogie Nights on 70mm. That's why I score tickets to go see Boogie Nights. On 70, which is already awesome as it is because um, that's going to be one of the best screenings in town. So hopefully okay there? it's like a little burp thing going on. <laughs> but uh thank you, Jeremy Warner, for hooking me up with the ticket because he is a member. I'll be in the members line first in line so he can all <laughs> suck it. You know, I, I've, I've, I've been watching this one movie lately uh, a couple times now. Uh It's called The Founder, and uh, it stars Michael Kean, who uh, <laughs> basically uh creates the McDonald's franchise. And uh, I noticed you gave it two and a half star, which is uh, quite interesting because the movie is actually really damn good. That's probably my most rewatched movie ever because (coughs) it's so damn interesting.
0: Oh, man. Sorry. Hey, Connor, I drew a comic of you two. Oh,
1: nice. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Yeah. uh, Founder, really good. Highly recommend. It's on Netflix. And Hollywood Book and Poster. if you want posters. That's
3: it. I went to the cinema this weekend and saw M. Night Shyamalan's new film, Knock at the Cabin. In which the cabin makes you old. Continuing this trend,
2: <laughs> old. I was going to mention that one too. I I liked it quite a bit, but I'm a, I'm a big M Night defender. Yeah,
3: I, I I think his current era is really exciting. He's doing some some cool stuff. Yeah, what's the what's the review on this? It's pretty mixed. Like I was surprised on both sides. Like a lot of like really really likes, and a lot of like this is not in terms of like technically. I think it's like one of his like shot and performed immaculately. I'm Batista pilled. I don't know if you're the same, Connor. I think Batista is a, like, a gift.
2: Everybody's really good in this, though. Yeah, the technical stuff. We've been talking... I've been talking, Craig, about the Spielberg shots and stuff like that. And there's, there's a lot of those in this. M. Night doing stuff that when you're watching it, if you don't know, it looks just like, okay, this is just a movie. But if you really think about what he's doing, where he has, you know, he has one scene where two characters are standing one right behind the other, like above them and behind them, and they're lit evenly in the sense you can see them both the same, but the color temperature on them is totally different. But it doesn't come off as unnatural or like a stylized thing. It just comes off like what's happening in the scene, even though it's, it's clearly a
3: very intentional choice so
0: it sounds like both of you were saying basically positive yeah.
3: yeah i'm on the positive i'm not sure if i like the culmination of things but it's also like 90 minutes like it's the perfect sweet spot it's dope it's i, I think it's worth seeing
2: only his second r-rated movie too yeah, I ended up watching that the same day as Women Talking, which I don't have much to to say about. I was kind of whatever on it, but I didn't mean to pair them. I was just kind of wanted to see, check multiple films off my to-see list. The, weirdly, they do pair in the sense that they're both kind of single-set movies, more or less. They have more than just that. They actually do take place at other places, but the main, you know, 80% of the action in each film takes place in a single building with a group of characters just talking I also saw uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool, which I liked quite a bit. A very funny movie. Uh, If you can see that with an audience, I would say go to see it. It is definitely not as, especially, I think there's an R cut, and I think that's what I saw, the R-rated cut. It's definitely not as graphic or crazy as I think people are promoting it. Maybe the NC-17 cut is really that much wilder. A lot of fun, a lot of... It's weird to call it fun, but I, I would call it a fun movie because it, it's essentially a satire at its heart. You can uh, find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evenings at twitch.tv slash Nerd I finally
0: finished Middlemarch, um, and for people who love, you know, are looking for a book, I really highly recommend Middlemarch by George Eliot, which was the pen name of, of Marianne Evans. I know a lot of people have talked about this. I do have to say now, having finished it, it is now probably one of my favorite novels of all time. It sticks the land. which I was really worried about. And I'm really blown away by it. She has this really rare talent. Very few artists in any medium I've seen had to be both tremendously compassionate and to really put herself in the shoes of characters that even you can tell she doesn't like. And at the same time, incredibly biting and incredibly observant. She's someone who can expand your world and your empathy, but she can also wield a knife like a surgeon. And the book is called Middlemarch, I think, A Study in Provincial Life. And what's Fascinating, and I know I said this, it's also one of the greatest horror novels I've ever read. It's not horror at all. It's, it's about this British town in the 1830s and about 10 to 12 major characters, and specifically two women, Dorothea Brooks and Mary Garth, and a man, Tertius Lydgate, a doctor. But the way that the society is and judgments that are made on people's decisions, it's also horrific, and it, it just really draws your attention to how people can be undone or not make choices they should make because of their fear of how people will talk or what people will say or what society says is appropriate or not. It's way too much to get into right now, but I just want to say that I was blown away and it actually... Well, yeah, I can't talk about it because the ending made me cry. And you, if you're going to read it, you should read it. But it did affirm for me something I've thought about truly good people, in my my opinion. And it's a characteristic I don't have and that I would love to have. And and it seems like Marianne Evans feels that at the end that this is the characteristic. And I was really, she said it beautifully better than I've, I've really heard anybody else say it. And I thought that is a characteristic of a truly good person. And I guess, it, it, you know, it's something to aspire to. But read it. Middle March. It's amazing. And that's it. Next week, Secret... Movie Club Podcast 140. We are going to be talking about the disciples of Alfred Hitchcock. We touched upon this in Spellbound and the Romantic Thriller, but we're really going to get into all of the filmmakers who clearly have been influenced by Hitchcock. This could be Steven Spielberg is probably the most obvious, I think, in so many ways. But you know, it could be uh, Roman Polanski, it could be Robert Zemeckis, it could be, as Daniel was saying, many of the great South uh, Korean filmmakers. Brian De Palma would be another really obvious example but Martin Scorsese has made some very Hitchcock movies. Uh, After Hours is actually a very Hitchcockian movie, but we will talk about the disciples of Alfred Hitchcock. As always, this episode was edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor lloyd Cruz, who edits all these things and makes them entertaining, which is a little miracle unto itself. As always, you can find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Go to Eventbrite to get tickets, and you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. And that's it. It was wonderful spending another... Tuesday with you guys recording podcasts. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be paired with you, all of you. Yeah, uh, uh, no, no,
1: Just, good.
3: Ah. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa.
0: Whoa. I love you, family. Yeah. Ah. I hate movies I I I hate movies